Hi, sweet souls. My name is Kelly Skinner, and welcome to Zen Mama and Everyday Guru. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode. Um, I, again, I just sit back in awe that you keep showing up, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. So thank you so much. Um, I usually chat a little bit before I start, but I am so excited about this conversation <laughs> and to have this um, beautiful soul's time with us today that I want to get right into it. So um, I have Kelly Skinner with me today, um, also uh, Ginger Mermaid Goddess, and I'll have her um, explain that to us too, but I think of her as a bhakti goddess. Um, and Kelly is someone that came into my life when I was actually training, getting my yoga teacher training. She had had hers already, but I think she was in maybe mentoring a little bit at Laughing River Yoga. And one day we happened to be sitting in the cafe um, having some lunch. And, you know, I just, even then I didn't know her, but she just like gave off this contagious energy. Mm -hmm. And I, I think even then we we exchanged um, numbers or emails, but, and it was one of those things I kept meaning to get to, but you know, I never did, but we, I did eventually when it was the right time, apparently. Um, so time went on and then um, Kelly started teaching there and I went to a few of her classes and again, just such um, energy that just drew you in. And, and there was a lot of chanting and, um, you know, I was always pretty uncomfortable with chanting, but I liked it, but I also recognize my discomfort with it. At the same time, she was just so full of joy and, and, um, and embraced it. And it just made me want to want to lean into it a little bit more. And also, I think it, it did inspire me to go on. Um, I guess it wasn't, it was a year ago, this past August, I went on to get my next level level of teacher training. And when I talked to Emily, um, who owns Laughing River, and we were talking about mentorships, I found myself waiting with anticipation for her to say that Kelly was one of the options. <laughs> and so I was so excited um, that Kelly mentored me uh, last fall. And honestly, this podcast came to be because of that, because I told, I began to tell Kelly a little bit of my story. And she's like, well, this is kind of your karmic two by four, you know, and it's just, you know, she's such a mirror to reflect on you, your truth and um, your path and so many other things that we'll get into in a little bit. So, so I continued to work with Kelly and worked with her in different capacities and definitely became part of this growing bhakti community that she is um, evolving in the Burlington area. And oh, we're so um, blessed for that. And we'll talk more about bhakti as we go on here. But Kelly is many things, and she's going to share her journey with us. Um, she is a yoga teacher. She's a energy healer. Um, she is an energy or a mindfulness practitioner, an end of life doula. Um, many things. I think I'll have her list more of what she does, but I know she embraces this bhakti journey. Um, but she also, before that, she was an alpine ski racer. Um, and she worked at dealer.com as the workforce vitality specialist. So I am really curious for her to share her transformation here. She is totally someone finding meaning and purpose, authenticity and truth and walking that path. So I'm so happy. It moves me to tears <laughs> to have you here, Kelly, today to talk about your journey, because I know so many will benefit 
from this light that you seem to have found within you and it's guiding you and you're on your path. So thank you so much for being here. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow, Mary. Thank you. Truly. Yeah. Um, I I'm incredibly touched and humbled to hear such an introduction. Um, so thank you. It was oh. beautiful. And one thing that I realized very quickly with you as we worked together last year in that, in that mentorship program was one of your many gifts is the gift of words and your ability to articulate them and share them from a way, from a place that is heartfelt, that is authentic. Mm-hmm. And that is like encapsulate, like, it's just, I just want to be wrapped in your words. Wow. I can just listen to you talk forever. It's like this flow of nectar. So thank you for sharing your gift and for facing fear and starting a podcast and look what you've created. And it's truly a, an honor and a privilege to be a guest. So thank you. Well, it, it's really my honor too, but <clears throat> I'm just glad to share you with um, all mm. this, this community, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, yeah. So, so tell, tell us Kelly, who I, I do feel like love and joy are two things that come to mind when I mm. um, think of you, it's, it's synonymous with you, who you are and how you move through the world. Um, but you're also human. And I know you have the same struggles that many of us do, but um, you are definitely embracing them and flipping them on their tail. Or leaning into them. I don't know. You tell us your secret. Into them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, love and joy. Um, love and joy are two qualities that I would say that I from a young age have exuded. And those are they're two qualities that um I really identified with and didn't fully allow myself to feel other feelings. Hmm. So, you know, I was the young woman who was always happy and always smiling. And my family would say, everything's always good with Kelly. Don't worry about Kelly. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and sadness and things, sadness, grief, anger were not really emotions that I did lean into. Mm-hmm. And so now as I, my journey has unfolded and I've gone through um, calamities, right? Or hardships and, and pain and struggle, I realized the importance of actually leaning into all of those parts, Mm. right? And it's something you and I have talked to about before, but to the extent that you can actually feel grief and sadness is really to the extent that you can feel love and joy and that we want to hold each in, in opposite palms and then be stretched. And those listening, you can't see me, but my arms are stretching like a wind wingspan and then your heart opens more. And so when we block ourselves or when we don't lean into all these aspects of the human experience, it actually affects our capacity to access all the parts of the human human experience. And especially those that everyone tends to want to like love and joy and bliss and, and all of that. So yeah, I absolutely experience pain. Um, we all do, right? Pain is inevitable, but the suffering that we then experience as a result of the pain, that is what um, spiritual teachings say, that is option, optional. So pain is inevitable, but, but suffering is optional. Um, so, you know, that that has been something that I've been really exploring more so in the last, I'd say, two and a half years. Mm. Um, 
And I think that though, if anything is true in what you just described me, which I don't know, I don't know if I'm worthy of that, that introduction, but um, it's because it's actually coming from an authentic place now, right? There's no, there's no mask. There's no Kelly who needs to be a certain way around certain people. It's just, it's Kelly and Mm -hmm. it's Kelly who has suffering and grief and Kelly who um, can be a bright light and share a lot of love and joy because I've also gone to the depths of the darkness. Yeah. Well, so in that, it definitely takes a lot of courage to go into the darkness. And for you, from what you just shared, Mm -hmm. um, it was a little deconditioning, I would say, to get away from this way that you were showing up for the external world, your whole life, to really authentically feel it on the inside as much as, you know, what you were putting out. So that's, that's a big transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one that came with, with little steps, little steps. Um, I grew up actually as a very competitive Alpine ski racer and, um, from the age of five started ski racing and went to a ski Academy in high school. And so I very much identified with Kelly, the athlete, Mm -hmm. Kelly, the athlete who's always happy. Yeah. Kelly, the redheaded athlete who is always happy. (laughs) I wrote my college essay actually about being a redhead. And, um, I had these sort of, you know, based on, based on karma actions that I've taken in past lives and actions that I've taken in this life, right. Will affect where I, um, return where my spirit comes back as in, Mm -hmm. in, in Bhakti yoga, we believe in reincarnation and we can talk more about that, but based on, um, past lives, right. I was born into this earth suit, this, this, um, temple, this body with different gifts, right. Just as you were with different gifts and skill sets and talents. And from a young age, I knew that there was something that was a little different about me than, than my brother and my sister, than a lot of my friends. And I had these sort of, um, like knowings, like I would know things about people that they wouldn't tell me. I could just sense it. Um, I, it's not like I can't read people's minds, but energetically I like knew. And I, I have this ability had and, and have really nurtured now this ability to also know what the person needs in order to heal. Mm. And I didn't understand that at all then. And I thought it was weird and strange. And I was already weird and strange because I was a redhead. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, nope. So that I learned to push that down and identify more with Kelly, the athlete. And that served me until it didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And my, I went on to ski division one in college Mm -hmm. and I broke my femur my first year and, um, I raced the three following years. However, it was the first time I realized there's more to life than ski racing. Mm. And what do I want to study? Mm. What to speak of? What do I want to do with my life? It, it was all ski racing, which was a gift and incredible. And I'm so fortunate and so blessed. And that at that point, that was the worst thing, quote unquote, that had ever happened to me. Yeah. I and I remember my dad saying to me, Kel, one day you'll look back on this and realize that if this didn't happen, you wouldn't be where you are now. Mm. And I was like crying in the guest room being like, you okay, dad? Like not believing. <laughs> yeah. Those words could not have been more true. Yeah. Was through that experience that I, I decided to study uh, fine arts. I, I've always been very creative and artistic and 
um, hadn't really accessed that part of me in my ski academy. There was like one art class all four years. Mm -hmm. So I studied art and sociology and education, and I had been practicing yoga. Uh, My mom introduced me to it in middle school. I would go with her um, every now and then, and we did it somewhat frequently at the ski academy, but I actually like developed my own practice. Mm -hmm. And it's from that injury that really led me on this different trajectory to learn Mm -hmm. to soften and to go inward and to listen and to slow down and to be tender, right? Mm-hmm. Our more my more yin qualities than the yang qualities of ski racing, of competition, of being the best. Right. And yeah. Um, I mean, I was an athlete too. And it's taken years for me to lose that competitive edge, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have to like completely lose it. Right. Mm -hmm. But know how to use it Mm -hmm. in a way that is not of, um, driven by the false ego driven by, um, like, you know, greed or selfless, selfishness, selfishness. There we go. Um, yeah, but of course we also need to, we, it's, it's okay to have passion and to strive and have dedication and discipline, which I learned so much of that from ski racing yeah. and yoga, all the whole meal of yoga, asana, kirtan, meditation, reading scripture, sangha, all of these things has taught me to where and how I can channel and direct that passion mm-hmm. and discipline mm-hmm. and enthusiasm. Right, in yeah. a way that really isn't about me, but it's about serving others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you certainly do that. And yeah, I guess as you say that, and I reflect on, it's not the competitiveness is more the internal dialogue to myself, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which yoga is yeah. a perfect lens to, <laughs> to find your way there. Right. Right. And it's always wild when the competitiveness comes through in an asana class. And I always say like yoga is a non-competitive sport (laughs) and it's not a sport. Yoga is not even for physical exercise. Yoga is a spiritual practice. Mm. And I still very much imbibe that the, uh, now I imbibe, like I'm Kelly, a spiritual being living a human life, who's an athlete who does, you know, who loves to ski and bike and swim and run and hike and skin and all these and do asana and, and I'm a teacher and, you know, um, a sister, a daughter, all of these things, but these are just sort of labels, right. That are not actually my identity. So yoga has taught me that these are, these are places in which us, I, I say spiritual beings living a human life instead of human beings. Um, but we are spiritual beings living a human life who have forgotten that we're spiritual beings mm-hmm. and we're just living a human life. And we think we are the athlete. And then when, when I can't, when I couldn't ski, I had lost my identity because mm-hmm. I thought that's what I was, but I was still here and I was still existing. So how could that be what I was? Right. right? And that really started to spark this exploration for me of like so if I'm not that what am I Mm. and it took me years to then find an answer to that 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 felt um true yeah true but um I have yeah and I I mean 
that's a young age for you to have such deep inquiry, you know? And I think, well, even if we go back in time in your life, you know, I do think, um, you know, I guess it has to do with our soul's evolution um, and how we're meant, what we're meant to do on this journey. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in, in the spiritual context, from a spiritual perspective, we talk about how when you leave your body, when you left your body in your previous life, wherever you were in your spiritual advancement is what you then return Mm -hmm. with. You don't lose any of that, right? It's like you accumulate merit, spiritual merit along the way. Um, and yeah, I, I, I believe that what you said is true. It's just based on my past karma and my past lives that I guess, how old was I? I was 19. Yeah. When I broke my leg. Um, but really it was when I turned 30, right. It's really started at the end of my 29th trip around the sun. when I turned 30, which was when, which I'm 32 now going Mm -hmm. on 33, Mm -hmm. um, that my, my Saturn was returning, which uh, astrologically, this is a time where there tends to be a great transition or change. Um, and it often comes with struggle and some turmoil, some suffering along the way. Um, and that year, that 30th trip around the sun was the, um, sort of beginning of the most, the most challenging time of my life. And it's also when I found my, deepest connection to Krishna to, Mm -hmm. which is the God of my unique understanding within the Bhakti lens, Mm -hmm. um, Krishna, the divine God, spirit, nature, universe, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was through the developing of my devotion that I was able to move through that experience with I, I truly much more ease than if I hadn't had that. Yeah. Um, and it really gave birth to where I am now. Mm. So interesting, like the idea of the pain and the suffering. And it seems that it is somewhat necessary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in avoidance of that a lot of us numb out to that right instead of seeing it as actually an opportunity for for positive change or transformation or awakening yeah precisely Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a few things that come to mind there when you say that um one being the lotus flower right which is such a symbol in the in the yoga system and the the lotus flower represents purity and it's like this white or light pink flower that grows out of only out of muddy, murky water. Mm. So it's really symbolic of how without the darkness, which is the struggle, the pain, the difficulty, the grief, there wouldn't be light, mm. right? We wouldn't even be able to recognize the light or appreciate the light. So it's, it's, it's from the darkness that we grow and transcend and yeah, bhakti spiritual practices, right, teaches that um, everything is happening for you, not to you in your life, mm-hmm. even those really painful things. And it, that actually those, like we spoke of the co- the cosmic two by fours, it's like yeah. 
when the messages, little messages are trying to be trying to reach you, the divine Krishna spirit, God is trying to send you and direct you. And when you ignore it, or you don't, you're purposely, purposely turning the other way, or you, you don't hear it. It's like the messages get a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. And until a cosmic two by four comes and it's like, you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. And often that is, um, the, uh, is loss, right? So loss of love. So loss and re- or leaving a relationship or breakup, which is something that I was speaking to when I turned 30 was I left a, a really beautiful relationship with a remarkable man who I'm still friends with. Um, but I had a knowing that if I would met, if I was going to grow into and step into being the healer and spiritual leader, I was meant to be that I could not stay in that relationship. And I listened and it broke my heart. Mm. and I started over at 30, right? I thought it was, I had my whole life planned with him. I thought I was going to marry him and move to another country with him actually. Um, But Kelly, that was before you really found Bhakti, right? uh, Yeah. So So this is like, this is a curiosity point for me. So you got very clear about your path and how did you get very clear about your path? Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I have to say that this is so funny that, so I did my yoga teacher training, my 200 hour, my original training in 2013. Um, and then my 300 hour I did, oh, I don't know what year it was. It was probably like 2017 or 18. So like leading into this, um, yeah. maybe 2017. And then I mentored the, the program. Yeah following year. Yeah. And then I, and I started teaching there and mentoring at laughing river yoga. And then, um, yeah, it was, that's also when I did my Reiki, um, master Reiki training, which took actually a few years. It's like many different levels and depending on who your teacher is, teaches in different ways, but really started to delve into the energetic spiritual world and how to use that as a modality for healing. Hmm. Um, and all of this was happening while, in this relationship and I was dramatically changing mm-hmm. and didn't know how to, um, for lack of a better word, marriage, marry the two. I also wanted to get married to this man and he wasn't ready. So, you know, for lack of a better word, but, um, really couldn't marry Kelly, the spiritual yogi and Kelly, the athlete. And there was a big divide mm-hmm. in my in relationship. Um, so, and I had a Bhagavad Gita I had a, I had like two different versions of the Bhagavad Gita sitting in my shelf that I'd like read, a, like skimmed a little bit, but like, I couldn't, there was something that I like, I could not open it. I could not read it. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back, I believe it's because I knew that when I read that my entire life was going to change. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified of what that was going to look like mm-hmm. and what that would mean. And I knew that, that I would eventually, it would, it would require me leaving and learning some things on my own because I had been in a relationship for since age like 21 up until 30, you know, in different relationships. So, yeah. So I listened to that um, message I heard while lying on an acupuncture table in Burlington and I spoke my truth and um, we made a really like amicable, loving separation. and. I went booked a trip to India. Um, I knew I lined up in that close together. Yeah, we yeah yeah, it was like we separated in April, and 
I um, planned a trip. January is yeah. when I went. Oh, in January is when I went, but I like did my research and did all these yeah. things. A spiritual pilgrimage to India. And India is a place I, as a yogi and as for you as well, I, I imagine like I had always wanted to go. Yeah. But my vacations were always planned with my partner. And mm-hmm. my partners never wanted to go to India and they weren't involved in any way in my spiritual practice. So it, I always chose them over and over and over again. Um, the pattern for me was giving, 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 giving. And that's how I um, felt love, right? It was like by giving love. And I didn't feel like I needed to receive it, nor did I know how to receive it mm-hmm. or the way in which I actually need to receive love. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all playing a part in why I left, um, to make that discovery for myself. But yeah, I read the Bhagavad Gita. Let's then pause and explain what the Bhagavad Gita is. Mm, Great. 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 So also I've said bhakti a few times. Bhakti yoga is one of the four paths of yoga and there's, there's karma yoga, which is the yoga of action. There's jnana yoga, which is the yoga of knowledge there is Raj yoga um, that is like the yoga of meditation, right? So where the eight, the really where like Hatha yoga and Ashtanga and Bikram and, you know, all these different types of yoga that we have and the um, eightfold path, right? The path of yoga, the eight limbs of yoga all comes from this limb of yoga. Yeah. Um, and then it's usually body. taught in yoga teacher training. And that's what we learn in the West in yoga teacher yeah. training. Exactly. And then the fourth path is bhakti yoga and bhakti yoga is the yoga of love and devotion. And the Bhagavad Gita is one of arguably the most renowned, um, um, at least within the yogic world, scriptures or yogic texts, we can say that teaches how to live yoga. Mm -hmm. And it's a spoken conversation um, on the edge of a battlefield between Krishna, who is God, and Arjuna, who is one of these warriors who is about to fight a battle, whom on the other side are many of his, his grandfather, his cousins, his loved ones, um, over a power struggle, a whole, a whole long story, but he doesn't want to fight. And Krishna tells him why he needs to, and how it's his dharma, which is his purpose, his path, um, and how to uphold the qualities of a yogi in in doing so. And and he explains the whole, all the four paths of yoga. And he says that you know these, they're all four paths are amazing. They're wonderful, right? And but the first three really require more renunciation. They require a lot of discipline, a lot of um, in some ways leaving the material world. Right. And, you know, most of us are not monks, right. Or, or choosing that, that we're, we're householder yogis, we're contemporary yogis. So he says that the fourth path of bhakti, it's like, you don't have to leave the material world and all of these paths ultimately lead to reconnection back to the divine, which is the source of who we all each really are. We're spirit souls. We're not our bodies. We just have them. We're not our minds. We have them right? We have thoughts. We are something divine. We are spirit souls, which Krishna teaches is sat chit ananda, sat meaning eternal, chit meaning all knowing or consciousness, awareness, knowledge. And ananda is bliss, is, is happiness, is unconditional love. And so that's our true nature. And he teaches in the Bhagavad Gita how to read it 
to access and to reawaken this part of yourself. Mm. So yeah. Everybody take a deep exhale there, <laughs> right? We can just be blissful, joyful beings. We can, it is an option. <laughs> it is an option, which does not mean we spiritually bypass pain and suffering, but it means that our, our innate way of being is actually that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yes, that's the Bhagavad Gita. And mm-hmm. that is the path of bhakti yoga. Um, and yeah, I, I, um, actually, yeah. I, I've never told you this story. I don't think, but the night before I went to India, yeah, I'd done some reading. I didn't truthfully know that, that much about Krishna. Of course, I had heard the, the name I had like heard the Maha mantra before, which is Maha means great. And it's the most, um, known mantra that we use in bhakti yoga it's the mantra that i repeat 16 rounds of on 108 rounds uh, 108 times is one round i do 16 rounds about a day but i didn't i i remember reading it and being like oh i gotta really like remember that because i feel like we're gonna use that a lot and that might come up now it's like (laughs) my like anchor um but yeah i got really sick the day before leaving. Um, and I had been back and forth of, uh, do I take the malaria medicine? Do I not this and that? And I ended up for numerous reasons, which I won't get into taking one pill and got extremely sick, like ill from from, the malaria medicine. Yeah. Which I had to take like one pill, two pills, maybe every day for, um, starting the day before you go. And then every day you're there and then like 10 when you're back. So wow, I I'm familiar um, with that. People don't usually get sick from that. I know my body rejected it, yeah. body, which I didn't want to take it to begin with. And I should have listened, but okay. I, Krishna sent the message. So for perhaps this reason, Mary, so I was so like, you know, very ill. And yes, I don't need to go on more than that, but I was lying in bed, like crying, basically. And like, I, I spoke to Krishna for the first time ever. I was like, Krishna. I shouldn't say the first time ever I'd spoken to God as a child in some capacity, but I was raised Catholic and had a, a disconnect from that form of relating to the divine. And so mm-hmm. just didn't even use the word God for like mm-hmm. 15 years of my life. Mm-hmm. So I said, Krishna, I don't really know who you are. I'm about to figure that out, but I vow that if you allow me to be well enough to travel tomorrow, I will dedicate the rest of my life to teaching about you. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Little did I know. Little yeah, did so you know. <laughs> I woke up the next morning. I'm like, I'm okay. Really? I'm okay. So off I went. <laughs> yeah. It just Krishna hooked my heart immediately. I, I mm-hmm. was, when I got to India, it was like, and, and hearing the, the, the teachers that I was there with, um, specifically Madhu Madhuri Puradasi, who lives in Laguna Beach and is an incredible bhakti yogi, um, a young bhakti yogi and was a monk and is an incredible kirtan artist and my kirtan teacher. Um, kirtan is chanting in community. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hearing him speak, it was all like, oh this is what I've been looking for my entire life. It it all just clicked. It made such sense. Mm. I didn't just blindly like have blind faith and believe everything I was told, but 
I asked questions and any doubts that I had, um, they had answers to that just, Mm -hmm. I believed. So it was like a coming home to Mm -hmm. my faith and to my spiritual practice. And I've since um, had a readings with my astrologer and he said that I've been practicing bhakti yoga for lifetimes. And that's why I'm, it all happened so fast for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was, that was, I didn't, yeah. I mean, honestly, when I sort of began following you more, I will say, or coming to your classes, you, you weren't that you were just transitioning, but it was like, you'd been doing it forever. Mm. I mean, I now know you were just transitioning, but it didn't feel that way from an observer's lens. Yeah. You just like, that was a deep step in, but yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a new beginning really for you. It was just a re-stepping into. Yeah. It was like a, it was like coming back into alignment. It, yeah. it was truly, I reawakened my true nature, yeah. which then just became easy. It's like, it, it would be, it's hard for me to, to not speak yeah. about this, right. To not share this. So that's actually more out of alignment, right? It's like, yeah. or it's, it's, it's hard for me to do that. And I had been like playing the harmonium a little bit in my classes and leading ohms and like leading various chants, but mantras. Um, but you're right. After coming back from India, it was like, boom, the Krishna changed the trajectory of my whole life. And at that time I was still working as the workforce vitality specialist oh. at dealer.com. I know you asked about that. Yeah. Um, which was corporate wellness. And so dealer.com is a, a, um, a digital marketing and software engineering company for the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. And I was what was on what was called the life team or the workforce vitality team, which our job it was to make the employer's lives healthier, happier so that they could be more effective, efficient at their job. Mm-hmm. And so I had an incredible team. I was on a team with four other fierce females who I love so much still to this day. And my director at that point really encouraged me to bring more and more of what I was teaching and doing outside of those walls, inside those walls. So I developed a mindfulness program there that Mm -hmm. um, team members would go through, which really birthed the, the mindfulness program that I offer now outside of the company with my own business. And which is like the first step right. And the work that I do with people, but ultimately I consider myself a spiritual coach mm-hmm. and healer and, um, and of course, end of light doula and Reiki practitioner and yoga teacher, awesome teacher. But those are just like the, the, um, the avenues or the, let's say the, I don't know the word. Um, those are like the ways in which I offer the spiritual healing. Right. There's like pathways in kind of, yeah, yeah, the center of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I even feel that way when I work with people around addiction and recovery, because ultimately that's that awakening within that has to happen for people to do what they want to find their way back to that, that self-love, right. Unconditional connection to something much bigger. Um, That really is the only thing that keeps us on our path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as teachers like yourself, it's like, we can all have a different like modality or way of, of, um, helping to awaken that within people. 
Yeah. Right? It's like, we just call it different things, but the, the, the destination is the same for all of it. It's love. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's reconnection to that love. And when, when we say love, it's not love of um, like a romantic love, right. Mm-hmm. Which, which actually is conditional. Yes. Right. Like love in the material world and is conditional because if people are terrible to us over and 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 over again, your love for them changes, right? You may not like them. You may still love them. You don't like them, right? It's like, or there's, there's separations, there's relationship breakups. And you're so it's like, it's almost like it's a dream that you had that life with that person. Mm. Right. So that's not unconditional, right. And the way that we can actually access and experience unconditional love is through having a connection to something connection to something bigger than us, mm-hmm. something, the source of who we are. Mm-hmm. And if we're spirit souls and we are that nature of eternal, blissful, all knowing, right. And love, like we came from something. So it's like the sun is the source and the light, the rays of the sun rays are like us and mm-hmm. Krishna or the, the divine of your unique understanding is the source. Right. And so the whole purpose of being born into these earth suits, whether you're a spiritual being living a human life, you're a spiritual being living an animal life, you're a spiritual being living a tree life <laughs> or a bug's life. That's a movie, right? Um, <laughs> purpose is to remember and reconnect to source, yeah. to remember your true nature and reconnect to source. And, and when we, when you can, when you do reconnect to source, you are able to access this like ever flowing uh, exchange of unconditional love. So you can find an inner satisfaction, Mm. right? You can find uh, an inner contentment, an inner um, wellspring of love so that you don't have to seek that outside of yourself in relationships, in drugs, in alcohol, in shopping, in food, in sex, in all of these different areas that we as spiritual beings living a human life do because we don't have perhaps a spiritual practice. We don't, and it's not, and and in yoga, we, we say these prayers and it's saying that we're thanking our teachers for bestowing the light of knowledge upon us and removing the darkness of ignorance. And it's ignorance, not like stupidity or anything like that. It's ignorance, just not knowing truth. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when I think of love and, and you and I have spoken about this, I think of love as the, um, it's defined by, uh, M Scott Peck right, in, um, the road less traveled. It's mm. the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Mm. It's a totally different way to think about love. It's a totally different way to think about love. And it probably, you know, I mean, it also is a lens that if practice, we can never avoid suffering, but we can turn it down quite a few notches. If we're, you know, if we're in relationship with the world, with other beings through that lens, right, then we're not so conditioned, so deeply conditioned around our expectations around that, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really spiritual practice, bhakti yoga, really what anyone's spiritual practice, really 
when when the destination is love, like you're speaking of, and it empowers us to to live fully and die well, right? It's so I I really like encap if I was like encapsulate what I do in like a sentence, yeah. it's to help beings um, learn to live radiantly and die gracefully, mm-hmm. and so to actually there's a difference between being alive and living. Yes. Right. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And to not wait until our own death, right. To start to contemplate these things of why am I here? What is my purpose? Well, how, how can I serve? Mm -hmm. Right. But to do so now and to also bring death and the temporality of life into the conversation, because then it will actually affect how you live now. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps I could share here of how that came into my, um, my practice and the end of life. Yeah. 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 Um, so last year, so I guess it was before that my, my child, one of my childhood best friends who was from preschool all the way up until, I mean, she's still, she's still with me, but she left her body last December, December 22nd. And Mm -hmm. actually on this day last year, I was traveling out to be with her in Arizona. It's really wild, but, um, yeah, she 14 months prior to that, she called me and said, and my other best friend, we were on a three-way call and I have cancer. I have, mm-hmm. I have stage four cancer and 31 years old. So healthy was another, is a division one Nordic ski athlete mm-hmm. for university of Utah and name's Madeline. Mm-hmm. And we called her Maddie. And this was really the, the first time, um, that I had an intimate experience with death, mm-hmm. uh, or the onset of death. Okay. And, um, I was really able to, this, this happened, let's see, what was the timing? She called me in October um, of 2019. I went to India in January. So I I knew while going to India and I I fully believe that everything was happening for me, not to me, including her, including Mm -hmm. her leaving her body, which is, which is not an insensitive thing to say. It's something that um, it's been a means for me to, uh, understand and, um, hold what the experience that we all had and and her family too, since then. So, yeah, I, I believe that Krishna arranged me finding deep faith and, um, stepping into my spiritual leadership so that I could guide Maddie, Mm. um, gracefully out of her body in this lifetime. And, and I did that and I, I worked with her for those 14 months and taught her to meditate and gave her a mala mm-hmm. from India and taught her the Maha Mantra and mm-hmm. talked about death and what that might mean. Um, and was able to be with her in the hospital and her family um, in her final days as her spiritual counselor, because it was COVID laws, you know, all the things yeah. happening. So, you know, she gave me so many gifts in our, in our 31 years running around the planet or third, maybe we were 29 years probably together and running around the planet together. Um, but the final gift she gave me was saying to me that Cal, this is you're this, you're really good at this. Mm-hmm. And this is part of what you're meant to do here um, and please do it. Uh, hmm. And yeah, I mean, yeah. 
it was, it was the, um, resurrection of, of understanding spiritually and materially what just happened, right. When she did leave her body, I understood it from a spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. I had been learning and teaching and, um, exploring this truth that you're not your body, you're not your mind, you're something divine. And when, when you, your spirit leaves your body, it's just, it leaves and goes to the next earth suit, right. Or eventually doesn't come back in an earth suit, breaks free from the cycle of birth yeah. called samsara. But I watched that happen. Mm. But it was like, I believe knowledge and experience is what creates wisdom. Mm -hmm. So I had the knowledge. I was reading about it in the Bhagavad Gita. I was reading about it in the Srimad Bhagavatam, another yogic text, and learning about it from my teachers and teaching about it to my students. Mm -hmm. But then I actually lived it. Yeah. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually real. Like, it's all real. (laughs) And, um, you know, from there, I also had to grapple with the deepest, darkest, most, torturous suffering and sadness that I had ever experienced that my best friend was no longer in her body. I couldn't call her anymore. I had to listen to her voice messages in order to hear her voice, you know? So, um, and the sadness and the pain around like the life she would have lived, right. If grief is, is love with nowhere to go, right. Grief is love with nowhere to give it to. And witnessing her partner who no longer had her, her mother, who was like, who was like a second mom to me, her father, her siblings. And that was, yeah, that's that. Yeah. I, um, thank you, Kelly, for sharing that. And I, I, I think I'll add that part of what we learn in the Bhagavad Gita is that how you exit this life spiritually, right. And and with Krishna or God or the divine in mind, right, really influences what comes after that. And so part, I mean, I'm filling this in because I think this is probably what, for people that are not as familiar, right, that you were able to guide her from that spiritual lens with such deep intention, right, Mm -hmm. that, you know, not only did it probably, I mean, I can only imagine she must have had more ease or less fear. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But also for the people around her too to to know that. But it but at the same time, as you said in the beginning, holding grief and gratitude at the same time in such incredible pain. Um it's really hard. I I was sharing before we got on with Kelly that my my best friend lost her son this weekend and Mm -hmm. uh, many blessings to them. But as and she's a woman of deep faith, and it was just an unfortunate accident. Um, and her faith will get her through, but she said, Mary, this pain is unbearable, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. And, you know, it is bearable. That's what I, I learned. However, it is so incredibly like felt like deeply yeah. felt like everywhere in your being and what, what I did and what I can recommend and, and grief is, um, not linear. It's not like, okay, I grieved my best friend Maddie for three months and then I'm all good. And now it's over. It's like grief is a spiral 
and it comes in waves. And there are days still, Mary, where it hits me that it feels like it just happened. Mm. Right. So what, um, what I've learned. So, so after she left her body, I, I, you know, took some time and also began studying grief and, Mm. and took courses on grief and also did an end of life doula program through the university of Vermont UVM. And I just, I I've really learned that it's, it's so deeply necessary. It's so deeply terrifying, but it's also necessary to be, to sit in your grief, like to let yourself feel it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean, um, I'm saying, you know, stay in bed under the covers for three months, but there may be days where you stay under the, in bed under the covers. Right. And there is no right or wrong way to grieve. Everyone grieves differently, but the, the important thing is to take time to feel the the depth of what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. And to, to talk about the person who left their body or the, the animal. Right. Actually just on Friday, my family dog, my family, family's dog, Red tiger left his body. Mm-hmm. And I got a message from my parents that, that said, hi, Cal, we're bringing tiger to the vet to be let to, um, be I put down, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, what should we do? Should we get him cremated or this and answer now we have five minutes, right? It was one of those, like, ah, like, <laughs> and I had five minutes till I was seeing a client and I just mm-hmm. like stopped. I sat, it was like cremated. I, I don't even know what the other option is to be truthful. Yeah cremated. And I said, let's have a celebration. I'll be home next weekend. And can you pull over the car right now? I want to chant to tiger. Mm-hmm. Right. So they pulled over, they got in the trunk with him. We FaceTimed and I played the harmonium and we chanted, yeah. chanted the Maha mantra. And we all got to cry together and say, you know, goodbye for this mm-hmm. round. Right. See you soon. And, you know, that type of stuff is going to, we're going to continuously have loss like that. Yeah. And when, when it's not, when there isn't time to like sit and process and hold what you're experiencing with that loss, we get what's called compounded grief, Mm -hmm. which is grief, like loss on top of loss, on top Mm -hmm. of loss, on top of loss, on top of loss. And it can be from like something like, you know, you lost your childhood pet when you were five and then the loss of like a home, you moved to a different home, but you were so sad about leaving that home, but it, or your grandmother died and you, you didn't really understand because you were young and grandma died. You went to a funeral and no one talks about it anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People don't know what to say. They don't know how to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. And so we have a, a lot of people have compounded grief, which then leads to like a deep depression. Yeah. Right. And uh, a feeling of, of being lost. But my, my point being with the grief and, and also speaking to your best friend as she's going through this, I, I mean, they say that there's, there's no grief that's harder than others. It's like, it's not comparable. However, the, the loss of a child is for, in my material mind, what the, one of the hardest things to be able to experience in, in life. And, um, you know, there's this, this teaching in the Srimad Bhagavatam, one of these yogic scriptures that talks about Queen Kunti, the prayers of Queen Kunti. And she's actually the mother of Arjuna, who I was speaking mm-hmm. of earlier, who's that warrior on the battlefield that doesn't mm-hmm. want to fight. And 
she, this is all happening before this battle of the Bhagavad Gita. And so it's like pre preemptive and they, her and her five sons, um, lose their kingdom and lose everything. Her husband left his body. And so, um, they are exiled to the woods for 13 years. Mm. And so she went from being the queen of the kingdom and having quote unquote, everything in the material world and wealth and fame and beauty and name and all of these qualities and to having nothing, mm-hmm. seemingly nothing. Mm-hmm. And she drops to her knees in the forest and throws her hands up and, and, and prays and begs to Krishna and says, I don't got this. I don't have this. Mm-hmm. I, I surrender to you. And I beg, I pray over and over and over again for great calamity, great Mm -hmm. hardship, because Mm -hmm. it's only then will I actually drop to my knees and surrender to you. Mm -hmm. It's only then will I actually have faith in you. It's only then will I ask for guidance and surrender. Mm -hmm. And it, I, in my experience, in my short 32 years in this body is that it's those times of, um, heartbreak in relationship and, heartache of death that it's when I turned even um I turned and leaned into and beyond leaned into Mary I lived into my spiritual practice and mm-hmm. made it not just something I do on the side it, I made it my life I made it the center of my life it is it is quite literally my work my offering my sharing but it's also my um my way of living yeah yeah that is living your truth and authenticity. Yeah. And it's such a, um, you know, it's such a light that you're shining out and showing others and you are having such an impact. Um, and thank you. And thank you for sharing all, all of that. I also just want to recognize um, what you shared even around your, your friend and your pet. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it, it, for all of you listening, it's just surrounded by beauty and light. Like when we can stop and really acknowledge what's happening and yes, have practices and rituals and ceremony that you can, you know, find shelter in and um, are meaningful. But when we, I I mean, and I grew up in a generation that avoided, avoided a lot of those tough conversations, right. And my, my experience with my daughter and raising my grandchildren has opened me up to stepping into vulnerability, which is what that is. It's saying we're at a weakest point. I am not my strongest self. Um, This hurts, but let's, can we wrap our arms around it? Can we acknowledge it? You know, can we embrace this moment and recognize it to set it free to, to, you know, to help us heal. And I, I don't think that we always understood that was the pathway to healing. Yeah. Yeah, I we mean, thought avoidance I was, but we now yeah. know it just layers itself in, a, in our right acceptance versus over avoidance at this point. Yeah, yeah and I I have witnessed you do that. Mm. I truly have witnessed you embrace, um, really embrace the the season that you're in. Mm. Right, There's, we have you know nature's arguably our greatest teacher. Yes, absolutely. right and summer is that season of abundance and it's joy and it's bliss and it's bright and there's so much light and we always want to be there 
but that's not the reality of this material world we live in. Right. And it's temporary and everything changes. So after summer comes fall and things change and things fall, start to fall apart. Things start to shift. The leaves are falling. Things are starting to die. Right. And then we have winter, which is dark. I mean, the clocks changed yesterday. I had no idea that was happening. (laughs) But yeah, it's darker. It's, it's sadness. It's grief. It's loneliness. It's depression. And then spring always comes. The light comes back. It's regrowth. It's rebirth. And then we're back in, in summer. And I've seen you really learn to, um, embrace and let yourself be in the season that you're in. Mm. And that's like, that takes practicing patience and tolerance and having a deep faith that you are being guided, that you are being held and Mm -hmm. led to become who you have always been. And you will always be Mm. right. And that doesn't change all the seasons change. And sometimes you're not in the same season internally that matches the external season. Right. Really that's the case. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, and that takes radical responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. That takes radical responsibility of not blaming, um, but really owning that your, your happiness, that your success, this inner worth, knowing your worth, which is really in your birth, nothing, nothing you do, right. It's in your birth. I'm like whispering it. Yeah. <laughs> right. your, your success. It's all part of our life. It, it's your personal responsibility. And that rather than blaming the circumstances on other people or finding faults in other people, you recognize your role, right? Mm -hmm. And that you cannot change the seasons and, but you can change yourself. Yeah. Right. And you can change your Yeah. And Kelly, just go ahead. Do you have more to add? I was just going to say that the the, the seasons are not in our control, but, but our actions Mm-hmm. and how you relate and the meaning that you attach to the things that you're going in th- through in your life that is in your control mm-hmm. and what you take in through your senses your eyes what you watch your ears what you hear your mouth what you eat but also what you speak all of that affects your consciousness mm-hmm. which affects the lens through which you see the world mm-hmm. right so oh i have to share this one last teaching that um my guru my spiritual master radhanath swami um was explaining that we all see the world, right? There's that quote, you don't see the world as it is, you see it as you are, right? And so we all have a different lens that we're seeing the world. So you, and he said that he would argue that there's never been anyone who's had the same experience ever, mm. right? And that, so if if you were to come upon a rose outside when you're on a walk and you're, when you're in your fairy walk, right? It's you if you're a botanist, you see that rose and you're like, Whoa, that's a Latin word, right. For the rose. And you're just like inspecting it and you want to study it. If you are uh, in love, like really like wrapped in romance, you're going to see that. and like, Oh, I want to pick that for my lover. I want to show them how much I love them. If you are allergic to that rose, (laughs) you're like, I'm not going anywhere near that. That rose is like, you know, tainted, right. Whatever. And if you are a bhakti, right? If you're a spiritual practitioner, if you are in love with the divine, you see that and you want to, you, you see how it came from the divine, from Krishna, from God. And you want to, um, celebrate that and be in awe of that. And maybe you even want to, you, you don't smell it for yourself at first you offer it on your altar to the divine so that the divine can first benefit from it. And then you receive the benefits, Mm -hmm. right? So it's whatever lens you're seeing the world, which is 
determined by your consciousness, by what you're taking in through your senses, what you study, what you listen, what you hear, what you preach, what you teach, uh, what you practice, it will totally change the experience of Mm -hmm. whatever is happening for you in your life. Mm -hmm. And that right there, like that is power. Yeah. It's choice. Yeah. Yeah, It's choice. And the power of choice that can really, and your faith and your trust and, and love can be like your, your sacred armor Mm. to, to really assist you in whatever season you're in. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that was a beautiful teaching. One other thing, um, I know we're, we're running over a little bit in time. Are you okay? I'm okay. Okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about this idea of service, Mm. you know, and this idea through Bhakti that we all are here to serve. So do you want to talk a little bit about how service comes in to the, through the Bhakti lens? Yeah, absolutely. So really these, just to back up for a moment, these three sort of key aspects of bhakti yoga are, are sadhana, sangha, and seva. So sadhana means spiritual practice. So within bhakti, this is um, chanting, which is japa meditation, which is chanting the maha mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Rama Hare Hare is honoring the divine masculine and feminine chanting that on a mala right so many yogis have malas those beautiful beads um, and they're actually a meditation tool they're like your phone home to god mm-hmm. calling home like that so yeah there's there's chanting that way job but then there's kirtan which is group chanting and, and singing and there's instruments and i play this instrument called a harmonium and as do you right um and then there's reading sacred literature it's reading and hearing these teachings like the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam, both of which we spoke about. Then Sangha is um, like spiritual community, mm-hmm. right? So this is being in association with other like-minded people, other spiritual seekers, other yogis, because truly you become who you spend time with. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And we want to spend time with people that upgrade our lives, not degrade our lives that we invite to meet our energy so that we don't lower ours. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we have Seva, which is what you're speaking of, which is selfless service. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, this could quite literally be like helping others that are in need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one way in which I offer Seva is that all of my kirtans right, are free. All, mm-hmm. all, all gatherings that I do of, of chanting are free. And then with my dear friend and um, Bhakti mentor and um, Srinivas, Frank, yeah. he cooks bottom sacred food food that's cooked with loving intention and devotion and offered at the altar and then served to the community after we chant so mm-hmm. that's one way of doing selfless service but really service and and from a bhakti lens are is taking your unique gifts right your your talents your passions these things that you know how people say your god given gifts yeah yeah right? it's like you take those things and you make them an offering, right? Meaning you share them in your life, right? And you use your skills and your passion to um, benefit other people. And, you know, the, the branch of bhakti and that I really, my lineage comes from, it's the Godava Vaishnava lineage, but uh, it, 
it's called Krishna consciousness, right? And Krishna meaning the divine God Mm -hmm. and consciousness is your awareness and what you meditate on all day long, right? It's so Krishna consciousness means seeing the divine in yourself and in all living beings. Mm -hmm. And so in even the actions then that you're taking in the way that you uh, behave and act in the world, how can you make that an offering of Mm -hmm. love? So bringing that lens to everything you do, to how you speak to people, to how you listen to the work that you do in the world, which your work that you do to make money can be different than your Dharma, right? Your path, right? Mm -hmm. Or even your seva, your selfless Mm -hmm. service. Mm -hmm. It can be separate for most people. I think it is. Mm -hmm. In my case, it does happen to be the same, right? And my work is service, but it's also um, a has become also a source of my livelihood. However, the, what makes it, um, what can, can make it a little different is that the reason I do it is not for the money. I do it for the healing and for the offering of mm-hmm. these teachings and these practices and how I've watched it dramatically change people's lives. What to speak of my own mm-hmm. and the money then comes in and in really inviting people to step in and invest in themselves mm-hmm. and everything is energy, including money. Right. So it's like putting out into the energetic field, the universe, quote unquote, that I'm here and I'm serious about deepening my practice mm-hmm. about finding a faith of finding a spiritual practice of finding an anchor, right. Something that I can take shelter in mm-hmm. and that investment often requires like, so that they actually show up and do it as well, right. It holds yeah. people accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your service, your service is different than my, this is this podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, is Seva. Mm-hmm. This is a, an offering of selfless service that you are bestowing upon this whole community of, of beings that listen and that all the people that are going to continue to listen as this explodes and becomes this incredible aspect of your Dharma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this, this absolutely is, is Seva. Yeah. And I, I would say, um, thank you for explaining that. And I, I think it's also such an opportunity for us to not so much get swept up by this current of life, but be intentional and, and aware just to notice, um, those God-given gifts in ourselves, you know, and to be sure that we are fulfilling that because not only energetically for for all of us, but even for your level of satisfaction in this journey, it feels good. It feels like the, the flow. Like I didn't know how to start a podcast. I don't even really remember how it actually came to be. I mean, it almost got a life of its own, you know, and then people continue to show up as it's meant to be evolving. And it has changed so much over the course of this year. Um, so that to me represents the truth of being on the path. Um, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're in alignment and when you're on the right path, like it's, it seems like this is what we call Krishna miracles. It's like these coincidences I'm doing quotations for those that can't see me, right. (laughs) Synchronicities or by chance, or that was such pure luck. Like, no, it's all, there's a divine hand at play that is delivering exactly what you need, not what you want, exactly what you need for your growth. Mm-hmm. For you to transcend, to evolve, and to remember, and to become who you've always been, but you've forgotten 
who you are. And I remember when you were first setting up this podcast that you were like, I think you said, I don't know how to set up a, a podcast. And then <laughs> it was like, someone came, it was like your somebody's girlfriend. Or, My son's girlfriend. Yeah. Your son's yeah girlfriend. She's- like, I know how to do it. Yeah. And it was like, it was just being handed you almost like resistance shows up in different ways. Like, like, well, I don't know how to do it. Or there's this fear. There's the, right. The logistics can cause resistance, but then you were so clearly in alignment and are in alignment that Krishna is like, okay, here you go. I'm going to give you the Mm -hmm. people and the resources that you need for you to actually do this because we need you. The world needs you to do this. I mean, I think that's, that's huge also for everyone to know, like I could say like, there's a million podcasts out there. Why do I need to do one? Well, I, no one's doing this particular show and whatever it is you want to do, no one is doing it the way you're going to do it. And there's room for all of it. I think we have to sort of not do this imposter syndrome business on ourselves, um, mm. you know, and really, yeah. yeah. I think that comes back to what we were speaking at about the beginning about our competitive nature, right? <laughs> Which comes from the false ego, the mind and that you know, if we look at on paper, like I'm a yoga teacher and I play the harmonium and lead kirtans and you are a yoga teacher and you're learning to play the harmonium and I'm going to teach you and help you learn, play the harmonium. Right. But we're not in competition with each other. Mm. Your medicine is different than my medicine. Mm -hmm. It's said that, that Krishna, the divine is like a pharmacist. And he's in the back there, like mixing the exact medicine that has to go in the little capsule to heal you. Yeah. Right. And that medicine doesn't always come with rainbows and butterflies and yeah. right. It also comes with pain and, and heartache and the medicine that I've been um, provided, let's mm-hmm. say by Krishna, by the divine has qualified me to then provide medicine for very specific types of people. Mm-hmm. The medicine that Krishna has provided you has qualified you to provide healing and medicine for, for different people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you're, you're, um, incredibly, um, let's say full, um, experience that you've had with mm-hmm. addiction and mm-hmm. your sweet daughter right? and all these different aspects of your life has really prepared you to be a, uh, a healing voice and, and beacon of light within that mm-hmm. community. And mm-hmm. it's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But thank you, Mary, but also like, thank you, Krishna mm-hmm. for, and thank you, your daughter, right. It's like for, for providing these opportunities for you to really have to face darkness. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can bring such light to so many other people. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Oh, I, I see it. And I see that I had a choice, mm. right? Just as you had a choice, as we all do. I mean, things can knock us down or they can rise us up. You know, it doesn't mean I didn't feel the pain of it, you know, but at some point, and again, I, this is my curiosity. Was it just my soul that was able to peek out? and really discover it's all held in light, even the darkness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but we have to be willing to um, acknowledge it and step in fully, yeah. And I also just wanna say like the other beautiful thing around being involved in bhakti, and I think any spiritual community, um, it's my hope, any most spiritual communities, is that 
you know, this world does seem hard and edgy at times. And, you know, part of my work around mindfulness, even before I started my yoga teacher training or bhakti, it's like, you know, what if our number one operating principle was kindness, you know, like, could we not get to the same place or even a better place um, from this softer, more loving, more kind way of being and not feeling that competitiveness. And, you know, I just think it's such a beautiful opportunity right now in this time period to begin to shift the consciousness of our society in that way. And I feel like beautiful souls like yourself, because you do attract people, Kelly, and, and you are at a early stage in this human life to really, um, you know, shift change a lot. Um, and I think the world's primed for that right now in the time that we're in. So I just am incredibly grateful for the light that you shine out in the world because it's just rippling out and in big, big waves. <laughs> I know that to be true. Um, so, you know, from my heart to yours, uh, just thank you so much for, for being in my life and for being here and for all that you are in service to. It's truly a gift. Thank you. And yeah, it's really all a testament to my teachers mm-hmm. and to, um, doing my own work so that I could remain, I can remain clear and open to be the conduit of divine love. That's really just being channeled from Mm. above, down, inside and out. Mm. So beautiful. So let's, um, let us also be sure to mention how people, you've talked a little bit about the work you do with people, but, um, and you have a website that we'll definitely have in the show notes, um, yes. but, but do you want to sort of cap capture what you offer for people? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, my website is gingermermaidgoddess.com. It's also my Instagram handle, which had, was really birthed, um, as my, it's my DBA, my do business as, um, and I am a redhead for those of you who can't see me. And I really, um, I have, I really, feel drawn to mermaid energy, the sense of freedom, um, and flow. And I love the ocean mm-hmm. and I am a goddess. So that's where gender mermaid goddess came from. And like I mentioned, my, my work is really in as a spiritual coach, but to learn to meditate, to learn, um, various, there's so many different types of meditation. So my initial programs are introducing different types of meditation so that, practitioners or um, beings can start to explore what works for them and what doesn't, what they're drawn to and what they're not. Um, and then we go deeper into uh, subtle body healing through the working with the chakra system and receiving Reiki treatments, mm-hmm. energy work that it's really, um, even when your mind consciously thinks or subconsciously thinks that you have moved through something, your body remembers and um, we hold past trauma, tension, stress, things like this in our subtle, subtle body. Mm-hmm. And so Reiki can come in and help break that up so that energy can move freely throughout your body and there can be flow and spaciousness and ease. Um, and I really teach yoga philosophy, right? So how to take your yoga off of the mat um, of asana and how to bring these principles into your everyday life to, to live leading with kindness, like you're speaking of and, and simplicity. And one of my teachers, uh, Kastuba Das speaks about um, high thinking, simple living. Mm. And really, I think that's part of the, the path of a yogi. 
um, and a sense of humility and, and tolerance. So um, yeah, I have a, a group virtual mindfulness program that's 10 weeks that we're in the midst of right now, mm-hmm. but that will continue to run. And that's sort of a great entry level place to begin working together. And then I have a, a six month program and an eight month called the eight month VIP program, which also includes a one-on-one retreat with me for, for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's spiritual uh, healing. It's healing yeah. and, and developing a spiritual practice and a connection to the divine. Um, and I really teach through a, a bhakti, a devotional loving lens. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I teach at Laughing River Yoga. I teach asana classes there and lead free kirtans as well. Um, and who knows what else Krishna has in store. And my service just continues to evolve Um you have a couple of retreats though too, right? Yeah, I was going to say that. I Yes, retreats as well. Um, I teach or I have a retreat in September. So it already happened and Mary was there um, in yeah. Central Vermont with one of my goddess sisters. Mm-hmm. And then we've postponed a, a retreat to India actually, um, which will likely be the, the following January mm-hmm. just with COVID and comfort levels. Um and then other retreats will pop up there. There's possibly going to be a, a Galapagos retreat yeah. coming up in 2022. Um, and I also have been talking about, of an Iceland and a Sedona retreat um, mm-hmm. that's in the think tank as well. So all of that will be on my website when they come into fruition, when they're really fully birthed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have, um, I offer free 30 minute, I call them energy clearing clarity calls. If anyone's interested to just talk and, and tell me a little bit about what's happening in your world. And if I can serve you, you can find that link on my website as well. Just schedule a free clarity call. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be a great honor to, to serve anyone in this community and to mm-hmm. meet you and to um, help you remember who you are. Thanks, Kelly. I mean, I have worked one-on-one with Kelly. I've been to her retreat in Vermont and it is just such a beautiful community, such rich teachings, lots of yoga, lots of reflection. Um, and it, it really gives you a sense of how to begin to build a lifestyle um, that aligns with you and your spiritual practice. So there's, it's very, very um, rich, I'll just say. And um you will leave there changed. I think most people do. Um, and of course, working one-on-one with you has just been a total, total gift. And so do the clarity call at least, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have all these um, links in the, in the show notes though. And is there any, like you've bestowed such wisdom and knowledge and your light on us. Um, is there one, if there were, if there was one little nugget of wisdom you might want to say before we end out, is there something that comes to mind or heart for you? Yeah. Um, that finding inner satisfaction, uh, inner happiness is the solution to so many of our world's problems and our personal problems. Mm. Um, and that is the purpose of yoga to, to actually find that inner satisfaction that is unending. And that is who you really are. And bhakti yoga specifically is that path that's focused on reawakening prema divine love. 
that is dormant within all of us. Mm. So to do what you need to do to clear away the junk so that you can find inner satisfaction and then you can weather any storm. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, Hare Krishna. Namaste. Hare Krishna. There were so many little nuggets of wisdom there as Kelly shared her path, you know, her way of finding meaning and purpose. And yeah, she's someone that stepped in fully. I don't know that everyone gets such profound direction, but it is inspiring. And I wonder if we do pay attention, uh, what might be around the corner for each and every one of us. So stay curious. And share that with a friend if you think that you know someone that would benefit. And if you have someone that you know that might be interested in coming on the podcast um, that's finding meaning and purpose, is on a spiritual quest, or just has an interesting story to tell, send them my way. I'd love to hear from them. I do appreciate you coming back. If you are a listener and you are enjoying the podcast, I'd love to have you send a comment or rate it. And again, you know, pass it along if there's someone that might benefit. It just helps us grow and expand and invite in new souls. And together our community grows. So have the best day. Find something to celebrate. Dust off that little mirror of your heart and remember you are unconditional love. We'll see you next time. Send in much love and light. And, you know, don't forget the power of the plants. <laughs>